there is nobody who gets into trouble immediately and runs for help. Possibly with the skills that I have, that is actually how I got myself into this. Parents sometimes are careless. Some expectations sometimes are unrealistic, which in their mind they thought was realistic. They can't meet those unrealistic expectations. It breeds a lot of disappointment. What is it that I'm actually looking for? Do we really know life? Sure. But let me say intelligence. Emotional intelligence, social intelligence, financial intelligence. So I believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand the rules that govern any arena of your life. You are listening to The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods, a podcast that explores the human experience and seeks to create a blueprint for a living using books, stories, movies, and conversations. And here is your host, Andrew Balongo Opere. Hello, this is Andrew Balongo Opere, and in this episode, we speak with Patrick Obell, and he tells us how he decided to be a counseling psychologist, his experiences as a high school chaplain, some of the issues high school students and young adults on campus deal with, whether in a conflict do we have external or internal locus of control, are some of the topics we cover on this episode. Well, without further ado, hello, Dr. Patrick Obell. Now, I'm familiar with people calling me doctor. I know because I'm a mental health worker, but ideally I'm still pursuing my doctoral studies. But that's fine. I'm Patrick Obell, and I'm a counseling psychologist. All right. Yes. And what was it that made you decide that you wanted to be a psychologist? Now, um, it was not an obvious path for me uh, initially because... um, I have a background training in applied chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, which I did work in a laboratory for a while as an analytical chemist. And then because of my involvement with church work, I actually went to a Bible college to study ministry. So I studied the theology. So I resigned from my previous work to be able to go and study uh, theology because I desired to get engaged in, in ministry, but a little bit more prepared. Mm-hmm. So that is why I considered training. I had yeah. already been involved in a lot of ways, but then I thought to engage a, little, a lot more, I need training. So I trained in theology and, mm-hmm. and served as a pastor, which I still do even now. I'm still actively involved in pastoral work. So now do we call yeah. you Pastor Doctor Patrick <laughs> <laughs> You should ask how I practice. I call myself a psycho-spiritual uh, practitioner. Because yeah. I integrate spirituality with the psychology that I've learned wow. in the work that I do. Wow. So that is how I call myself. I'm a psycho-spiritual mm. uh, practitioner. Mm. So in my work as I did pastoral work, of course I kept encountering people. And one of the things that people don't realize, even in a church front, is that the pastor's big work is not preparing and preaching sermons which many people seem to see. Every Sunday, the pastor comes to preach, and uh, maybe he has prepared to preach that sermon. So one would think that the pastor's work is basically to read the Bible, prepare sermons, and preach. But I discovered that the bigger work is outside the pulpit, where now you're interacting with individual people, the parishioners, and you're engaging with them. They are coming to the pastor, asking for help in different ways, and, and and I could pray with many because they have different needs and and God answers hears and answers prayer and, and I still believe in that because I've seen that happen a lot of times. But as as time went by, there are times when we could pray over certain issues and somehow they didn't seem to go. 
And I kept wondering, so what haven't we done? Is it because I don't have faith? Or is it this brother or sister who doesn't have faith? So slowly in, in my pursuit to find out what is not happening right is when I landed on this psychology thing. Mm. Because I learned that, oh no, there is you can train to get to work with people a little bit more. And so I went to train to, mm. that, to psychology, which I got to discover it's not better than what I knew, but it complemented what I knew. Because now I realize that uh, I can have skills to, to engage people, talk with them uh, concerning their experiences. So some of the things I came with for prayer, <clears throat> I think with my training, I now changed my approach. So if you came to me and said, oh, pastor, I need prayer. I'm like, oh, prayer about what? And then you would say, oh, you know, I want you to pray for me about this and that. Then I would say, okay, tell me more about it. So now we engage in a conversation. And then I realized that there are certain things that uh, we may not just pray, but there are things that you need to do mm. or we need to do. Mm. So now that is the benefit I got in the study of psychology that I had, that I could now engage people at a very personal level. And uh, we could still pray, and I still pray even today. But you see, in as much as we are praying, it is so that God can now help this individual to execute the things that he needs to execute. Because there are things he needs to do, and he needs capacity to do some of those things. And that is now where, for me, prayer comes in. But the responsibility that the individuals that I engage have, they still have to engage in that. If it's a couple, for example, they're having issues in their relationship, there are things that they need to do as individuals. So just coming to my office, walking in and say, Pastor, pray for us, our marriage is in trouble. And say, okay, kneel down, let's pray in the name of Jesus now. <laughs> That alone doesn't help. Yes. Not that prayers don't work, but you see, now I would say, I would call that an abuse of prayer. Mm. Yes, because we are now abusing that privilege mm. that we have been provided that we can actually pray to God. And so I would want to know, oh, okay, so your marriage is in trouble. So what kind of trouble? Mm. And uh, so we will engage in what kind of trouble? And yeah. then you say, oh, fine. So possibly, how do you think the trouble started? Yeah. And how long has this trouble been going on? Yes. And what have you tried to resolve this trouble? Because definitely by the time they are coming for prayer, they have tried something. Yes. That is my experience. There is nobody who gets into trouble immediately and runs for help. Mm. Mm -mm. They will come after they have tried something. Maybe they tried something that didn't work. And uh, it could have worked, but maybe they didn't try it the right way. Mm. So I am able now possibly with the skills that I have, engage with them and say, oh, okay, so this is what you tried. Yeah. So how did you try it? And they say, oh, this and that. Oh, perfect. And then you say, oh, okay, maybe uh, there could be another way yes. of, of doing the same. And so that is where my input comes in. So we try to work around that another way. Mm. And uh, I've seen it work. So we pray that God will help these dear people uh, to work their marriage. Because if they have been having trouble, they have been fighting in their marriage in some sort, and they are still stuck in it. Mm. It means to me, when such people come, there is a trace in them that wants this marriage to work. Yes. It may be faint, but there is something in them that really wants this marriage to work. And so we become on, we start on a positive note that we want this thing to work. Now, those who don't want it to work very likely may not come. Of course, there are a few who would come because they don't want it to work, but they want another opinion mm. for somebody to give them permission mm. so that it doesn't work. So that they tell you this and ah, you say, oh, that one can't work. Then they walk as you see, even the pastor said, it can't work. So it's actually permission they're looking for, but they know this thing can't work. They don't want it to work. Mm. But a good number, they want it to work. 
So they would come with an issue because they wanted to work. And so when you try and explore with them uh, what it is that they have tried and with what level of success, then they are now allowing you and inviting you to bring in another perspective that possibly could help them work around it. And I've seen that work. So that has that is actually how I got myself into this. And now because of my involvement and engagement with the different uh, kinds of uh, clients and people that I meet, yeah. I think it has been a fruitful journey. It is something I would love to do. So you said you have different clients apart from just your regular uh, pastor thing. Uh, oh yeah, church. of course. Yes, I do have a lot of oh, them. Okay. So, so after the pastor thing, mm. um, which other areas have you worked in? No. Um, okay, I've, I've worked, as I said, I, I still do pastoral work even now. Yes. And so that has a category of clientele that I would meet who will come to me as a pastor. But aware that I have a lot more that I could provide, maybe because of the other skills that I have. Yes. But then, because I'm a practitioner, uh, there are many other people that I meet, and they don't meet me because I'm a pastor. Mm. They meet me because I'm a counselor, I'm a psychologist, and they are referred maybe by somebody, or oh, there is this mm. counselor. So they come on the basis of the fact that this is a counselor. So I have a variety of people that I meet uh, in different settings. Now, the first place I, I engage actively, other than now the church, Yes. is a school. I've worked again, maybe closely pastoral, but uh, working as a chaplain in a high school, mm-hmm. and I would call it a high-cost school, mm-hmm. uh, with children from the high and mighty in the country, uh, these are kids who had issues. And uh, working in that context, then you can be sure, in as much as, yes, I was their chaplain, but really much of the things that I was doing was more of now the psychology that I've learned that I could be able to work with them on, on a variety of issues. Of course, kids struggling with issues of drugs, I could be able to help where I could. And then, oh, so again, another big issue that I would say that I was dealing with is kids coming from dysfunctional families. Mm. That's been a big issue of things that I had to deal with. Some even parents, I had to summon them, I should say. And that's the good thing with working in a school. Because you have such authority that when a child has an issue and you call the parent who pays the school fees, who meets every obligation, they'll come running. So I could say, give me your father's number or your mother's number. I think I need to talk to her or I need to talk to him. I had a suicidal student in my office one time. And I said, uh, young man, give me give me your dad's number. And uh, so he struggled said, oh, well, I didn't mean this. I, no, 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 you, you've done your part telling me what you've told me. But I think I need to involve them and I will do so. So just give me the number. And he said, but will they really come? So the young man was worried if the father actually, I said, I need to call boss. Will they come? I said, no, that's not your business now. Let me do it. And I called them and they came. And so we engaged with the son and the parents and we talked about it at length. They were so shocked to know what their son had actually attempted to do in their own house. Mm. And, mm. and so they actually came on his side and supported him through his process. And, and so he finally finished school and went. And I believe he's well wherever he is. So that, that is, yes. In that particular case... What was it that the boy was dealing with that he wanted to commit suicide? Uh, no. Or the, rather, what was... It was academic. Mm. Because this, this young man was a fairly average student. But I think the expectation the parents had on him was so high. And so constantly, he did not seem to meet their scorecard as they wanted it. And, and they, were not, they were not mincing their words about it. They kept telling him, oh, no, you can do better than this and all those kind of things. And, well, he tried to do better. But I think where they messed, 
they started comparing him to other people. They would say something like, oh, you see your uncle is an engineer, you see your auntie is an accountant, you see your whoever cousin is a, a pharmacist, I don't know. So with this kind of grace, what are you going to become? Mm-hmm. And he realized he was going to become nothing mm-hmm. based on the description that they were giving. And he did not want to disappoint them. Yes. And then at one point, I think now the, should I call it the straw that broke the camel's back? Yes. Now, the one of the parents... I think it was the father, or I think the mother, I can't remember exactly, it's a while ago. Mm. One of the parents said, you know, this school that you're in, you know, it's expensive. You know, we are paying a lot of money. And uh, you see now the way you are performing. In fact, there is this guy I really would have wanted to buy by now, but you see now we can't afford it because... Uh-huh. So so the fellow realized, oh, okay, so I'm in school. I'm not doing what they expect. It is expensive. They are wasting their money on me. So I think I would rather die and give them space now to use their money for the things they want to do. Wow. wow. Now that was the argument. The young man said, no, because mm. really I'm the one who is the reason why they can't have what they want to have. Mm. And in any case, I'm not going to become anything. <laughs> so really, I would better save them that struggle. Wow. And how did that end up getting resolved? Well, of course, the parents came. Yes. And I asked the young man to say exactly what he said. I had to prepare him earlier because one, he didn't know they would come and he didn't know what to do. And so I prepared him and I said, well, your parents need to hear this because these are the things that they keep telling you. And this is the reason why you're feeling this way. Mm. Uh, So you need to let them know how it feels for you to hear these things from them when they tell you these things. And so I prepared him, gave him courage and confidence and I promised to support him to just be present when the parents are there as he tells them this so that they don't cause any commotion. So they came and I prepared them. I said, well, I've been talking to your son and uh, from our conversation, I think he has some very important information he needs to communicate to you people that will be helpful for you moving forward. Mm. Okay? So I said, young man, you have an opportunity now. Your parents are here. Uh, Maybe you have not had a chance to tell them some of the things that are affecting you. Could you go ahead and tell them now? And so he started describing all these things that I've just said as they were. I said, oh, you know, dad, when you say this, this is how it feels. Mom, you know, when you say this, this is how it feels. And so this is uh, this day I decided uh, maybe just to save you and spare you any further troubles. Uh, then it will just, just die and then you guys will be peaceful. You really have no problem of your son not becoming what you wish. And uh, of you having your money now to do whatever things that you want to do. So I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's actually how you... And the parents were they were shocked. Mm. And, and so they said, well, we, we didn't mean that. Okay, maybe that's how it sounded to you, but you were just thinking of, you know, showing you some of your own relatives and the things they're doing as models so that you can aspire to be like them. And just, we know you are our son, whether you get an E, whether you get whatever, it doesn't really change. We do just wish you the best. Mm. So they were very sorry about trying to say, oh, you know, this is expensive, and you know, we can't do this. It's like, no. That is our choice. Whatever we want to do, we can do it. Sorry, we had to say that before you, but that is not actually what we hoped to do. And so they were able, it was a moment of reconciliation. So they now assured the boy that uh, you are okay, however you are, so long as you do your best. And, and, and that's so the young man now remained freer. They also went home now with a clear understanding of what it is that they have done to their child with the statements. You know, parents sometimes are careless. They say things not knowing the impact of the things that they're saying. Mm. So these parents had an opportunity to now be more careful about the things that they say 
because they will be interpreted by the hearer and the repercussions or the implications could be beyond what you imagine. So for me, I think that was a what I would call a successful engagement because there was a reconciliation. The young man boldly presented these issues. The parents reacted to their issues. They offered assurance. And he also said, well, I'm happy now because now I realize that uh, I should just do what I can do. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that is okay. So so those are issues that I've had to deal with. So those are purely mm. on performance yes. in, in school, okay, academic issues. Mm. Well, of course, sometimes we have had to deal with the grief issues, parents, you know, maybe a child you told oh, the father was shot at the gate going to their home, just like that, or one died on the road accident, you know, those mm. kind of deaths. Mm. And so kids need to get information, so we have to work with them, support them uh, through some of those experiences. So those are some of the issues that we were dealing with, issues of loss and grief. Uh, issues of academics because of the expectations that different mm. people have. And of, of course, a few times discipline issues which are drug-related or other things related. Uh, so we've done that. I've also worked, and I'm still working now, mm. at a university, although I've worked in a different university from where I am now. And again, now dealing with the young adults, now that is a very unique area again, mm. where I've had to deal with so many issues which are not necessarily spiritual, uh, but they're just social issues. Yeah, people, relationship issues for the young people. Today, this boy and this girl are together. Tomorrow, they are not. And it's because one decided, I think I need to move on. And the other one is wondering what didn't I do right? And maybe it's not about what they didn't do right. Or maybe, yes, there is something they should have done right. Mm. So there are all those issues. So we have now to provide a lot of psychoeducation mm. to, to just help these uh, young people to appreciate the stage at which they are the prevalent challenges that they should be able to deal with at that particular moment. Mm. And, and so those are issues that we are dealing with. How do you handle uh, when somebody leaves? Uh, they rejected you because that's how it appears, a rejection. Yeah, But you see, people have different preferences. Maybe they needed you for a season, for whatever reason, and that season is over. So they need to move on. Not because you have anything wrong that you've done. Only maybe they've seen something else that they want elsewhere mm. or another experience that they want. So again, we, we have them moving on to something else. So those are issues that we've dealt with. Again, dysfunctional issues because mm. we've had to deal with parents, uh, with their children. Uh, we've also had to deal with other marital issues still, even in this setting, uh, dealing with the people. And academics uh, always come in. Yeah, performance. Yeah. Now, one time I had an interesting case. Yes. I had a student who was just preparing to graduate in a month's time. And uh, this student had uh, a grade point average of, I think, 3.5, and she was graduating. But she was very, very downcast because she had wanted to graduate with a GP of 3.7 or higher. And so she was really distraught. She was feeling troubled. She was feeling, you know, I mean, she couldn't imagine now she has done with her program and she has not gotten what she was looking for. When others are struggling to get a GP of 2, uh, for her, she's crying for not having gotten a GP of 3.7 when she has a 3.5. Yeah. Interesting expectation. So sometimes when it comes to performance, I don't know what informs people to have certain expectations. Some expectations sometimes are unrealistic yeah, because I wonder what informs you that you should get this and not any other. Because if you've not gotten it, then what happened? It's just a real circumstance that you went through that allowed you to get what you did. Yeah. So those are some of the things. Sometimes it is the expectations that people have which are unrealistic. And so when they can't meet those unrealistic expectations, which in their mind they thought was realistic, it breeds a lot of disappointment. And I'm glad you've, you've pointed that out because 
for me, just looking at life in general, it seems that the bulk of our problems are there's a certain expectation we have or maybe it's placed on us and we don't meet those expectations Mm -hmm. and what we think about it and feel about it Mm -hmm. and how others around us respond. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you mentioned when you were in... uh, when you're a chaplain at uh, the high school, mm-hmm. the main problems you dealt with were performance-based uh, issues, issues mm-hmm. uh, with academics, mm-hmm. grief and loss, mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, you dealt with a couple of issues here in high school, mainly relationships, performance also. Mm-hmm. But are you noticing a certain trend of specific issues that just keep on coming up no, with I'll- the clans that you see? Well, different populations have different issues. Now, for, for younger population, uh, I think the, the question of performance is big because especially those who are in academic setting, I think the question of performance is a big thing uh, because there are expectations that you need to meet a certain level of performance. Mm-hmm. However, others are unrealistic because we, we know our own abilities. So when you know your own ability then that should be able to help you define what you should expect. Uh, so long as you can operate within what is capable, I mean, what is suitable for you, you are good to go. Okay, not that you lower your standards in any way, but at least you know you know why you work around here. So that for me is an issue. So performance is, is a big issue that I would say I've observed as a common thing uh, that is affecting uh, students, especially those who are students. Now, then the other bit that I would also say that I've seen that is a common trend that puts a lot of pressure on this performance as well, is what you mentioned, that there are certain expectations that are placed on us. Now, some of these expectations are actually placed by the adults, maybe the parents or something, and yet there is nothing substantive that informs that expectation. You see, when a parent tells a son, you should graduate with first-class honors, because that's the highest honors one can get, isn't it? First-class mm-hmm. honors. Yes. But what informs that? Just because that is the best that one can get? You know, so this child is struggling. They may not have that capacity to get that first-class honors. But that is what the parents are requiring from this person. Mm -hmm. So they keep trying. Genuinely, they are trying. They are not discipline issues. They are not running out of class or anything. They are just doing their very best. But for some reason, they are not able to get to that. So when they are not able to meet that, they start getting very depressed. They are very frustrated because they can't meet this expectation that the parents have on them. And yet, I don't know what informed the parents to have such expectations on this particular child. Because if you have three children, they may all have different intellectual capacities. So each of them should have different expectations based on their abilities. But parents seem to have a blanket expectation. They are all my children, so they must be like this. Now, that doesn't happen in many times. So for me, I think... Performance-based is really common. Then the other one is now that uh, issue of expectation, which is still performance-related, but it's more of now trying to impress somebody. Not just because they want to get it for themselves, but they want to get it for someone else. And and so that is, again, what I've observed are some of the issues that are a trend, if we talk about a trend. Now, of course, the other bit that I'll talk about in... It's this, this relationship thing that uh, many people have, and that is a common thing with young adults. Mm. 
Now, what I've observed is that there is a poor, is it poor ability or a lack of ability or a poor, st- I don't know, I'm trying to get a good word, yeah? Yes. How people handle what I would call rejection. You know, being told no or being told, okay, enough now, I have to move on. For example, this girl tells this gentleman that, okay, I, I think we can't continue anymore, now I need to go. This young man doesn't seem to know how to handle that. They don't know how to what to do with that. Or if it's a girl and the boy says, oh, now I'm going, you're like, okay, so they just don't know. Should I call this handling rejection or something? People have a very poor means of handling that. And, and even recent cases that we have heard of uh, maybe students being very hostile to, especially women, have seem to have suffered a lot. And even some women have actually committed suicide because they found their boyfriend with another woman, maybe suggesting that now he has moved on and leaving me out, so it's like I've been rejected or something, and they just don't know how to handle that. So that's a common thing that, again, we have to deal with. It's a trend, I think, that is, that is, is coming up. Young people don't seem to know how to handle that kind of an experience. I don't know if it's a rejection or it's a no. I don't know really the good word to use for that. And it's interesting you share that. But for me, it's same. it seems to be all tied together. There's a certain expectation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that things should go a particular way mm-hmm. and then things don't go a particular way. Mm-hmm. What then after that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you also mentioned about how dysfunctional families, which I'd like us to touch on a little bit, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I feel that maybe this might be an experience of dysfunctional, emotional behavior, for lack of a better word, because mm-hmm. we don't know how to function emotionally in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. just like you mentioned in this case of the words parents use, we expect you to be number one, full stop. Mm-hmm. We don't care. Can you see how much I'm doing? Mm-hmm. I think possibly us as both men and women, mm-hmm. we use that same language in how we relate. Mm-hmm. But because our parents are always there, if we fail, in mm. quotes, mm. they can just look at us with a bad eye and just, you know, withhold love or withhold some certain uh, privileges mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we used to have before mm-hmm. and they attribute it to that failure that because I didn't perform it at that time, mm. I've withheld this. Mm-hmm. So I think we go with that template in our relationships mm-hmm. where if this person does not comply with whatever I think is a positive way of relating in a relationship, Mm. then I withdraw my attention Mm. or she will withdraw her attention. Mm. Hence, doing the same punishment. So, Mm. I don't know. What what do you think of that? No. I will agree in a sense. Yes, there are expectations. And, And that is where I have said before, what informs the expectation? Because that expectation may be misinformed. And, and this is my common phrase when I'm dealing with young people who have been in a relationship or they're in a relationship that doesn't seem to be working. I ask that question, uh, is this your wife? And of course they say <laughs> no. And they say, if she is not your wife, then you are in competition with others for her. Mm. And if you are not her husband, she may still be sampling to find out where she would settle. And so you just happen to have been part of that journey for her. 
you have served a purpose in her life. Yes. And that is okay. And she possibly has, has also served a purpose which you can learn and grow from and move to something else. Because now you are better prepared to handle any future relationship should another one come. Mm-hmm. Just the same way this one came. Because possibly, yes, there are things you didn't do right which you need to evaluate as you reflect. And then given a chance again in future, you know things that you will not need to do or you need to do. Or even if the same woman was to reappear again in your life for some reason, now you know what not to do or what to do because of the reflection. Now, people don't spend time to reflect Mm -hmm. and find out what might have happened. And you see, when you talk about locus of control, there are many people who have an external locus of control where all that happens about them, they're not responsible. It is somebody else out there who is responsible. Oh, that girl was not serious. Oh, that girl was not this and that. Oh, that girl did this and that. Now, forgetting that, what did you do yourself? There could be something that you did for which you can take responsibility. And that is what internal locus of control will help us. Looking inside us and saying, okay, what have I contributed in this? What could I do differently or what could I have done differently? Mm -hmm. Then if there was anyone to blame, what a portion of blame can I take for this? That is being accountable and taking responsibility. Now, many people don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. They want to blame somebody else. Them, they're fine. Them, they're okay. They're offended. They're victims. They're grieved. But they don't see how they're offenders. How they are the reason why things went there they went. You know, it takes two to tango. So if, if one does their part well, then the other one also does their part well, then this thing works in harmony. But if one doesn't do it well, even if the, that other person does everything excellent, and I don't do what is excellent for it to work, it will not work. Equally, I could as well be as excellent as I can, but if the other one can't work on their issues, then that's okay. Then I have nothing to blame myself for. I have nothing to really be mad about, I'll just accept the reality that, oh, okay, it did not all depend on me. Whatever depended on me, I did. But now what was beyond me, there is nothing I could do about it. And then you accept the, the fate that has come your way. So that is one bit that I observe, that many people are not maybe able or they don't know they need to do that self-reflection and evaluate so that they can know at what point am I accountable, at what point am I not accountable. And that is why we are having all these issues that we are having that every other time it is the other person to blame. And you see, once it's the other person to blame, that's a very easy thing. It leaves you in a very good place. Yeah, because you are fine. You have been hurt, you've been offended, you've been aggrieved. So you can find sympathy from somebody. And that is why when I'm dealing with couples presenting issues, I prefer to hear the side of both of them, whether together or independently. But at least I would want to get the two perspectives. I, I don't rely on just one perspective because everybody will present their best, how they are victims. The other one also when they come, for example, if a boy talks to you about a certain girl, you also want to see that girl that she's talk, he's talking about because of the kind of things that are being described. You're like, what? I would also love to see who that is. Now, when the other person comes, they're totally different from what you had. And when they give you their story, you wonder, mm, are you talking about the guy I talked to? Because again, it's so, so different. <laughs> So yes. that's my observation. Yes. But, but you see, when people are able to own up and take a responsibility and say, oh yeah, I think I should have done this. Oh yeah, I think it's because I did this. Ah, now I know. Oh, now I see. Now you see, that way you can get insight. Yeah, for, for counselors, we talk about an aha moment. You get to aha, it's like, aha, now I see. You know, this is it. Ah, I didn't know that. 
You see now, people need to get to that moment where they realize, hmm, now I see. Ah, now I get. Now, but if you can't get to that place of now I see and now I get it, then it is not you, it is the other person. And that is an observation that I've made. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have learned anything today, please share one takeaway that you've gotten from this conversation in the comments below. And if you find this beneficial, please share with your friends. And until next time, please try and apply one thing that you got from this episode in your life this week to make your life more impactful. Thank you and have a great day.